September 1st, 2022, this is FOMOZOMOFO, a video game collecting podcast. Coming up on today's episode, Sony raises the price of the PlayStation 5, a despised type of DRM is coming to the Switch, and Disgaea 7 is announced. Welcome to FOMOZOMOFO, a video game collecting podcast, episode 23. Man, these just keep rolling on. I am your host, Blue Swim, and we are streaming on anchor.fm slash FOMOZOMOFO, as well as on all your favorite major podcast providers. Well now, let me tell you. I've got a packed show for you today. Including, as I previewed in the uh, intro, Sony raising the price of the PlayStation 5. Uh, A certain type of uh, despised DRM hitting the Switch, or apparently is in the works for the Switch. Uh, Disguise 7 being announced. Uh, We'll get into talk about Capcom versus SNK, or SNK versus Capcom, as it was mentioned. Uh, I'll give you a uh, warning about a physical version of a uh, game I have talked about on this show. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, not some uh, great news. Uh, what is great news is going to be a uh, a third game in this uh, new series that just came out last year being announced and uh, coming out in uh, just about two weeks. Less than two weeks, I should say. Uh, then we will move on to the announcement of a uh, sequel to a popular racing game. And news on a cave shmup hitting limited run. And that is a preview for collecting news. And I think a lot of the fun on this episode is going to be in pickups and impressions. Because I'm going to be talking about a lot of things that are uh, definitely uh, noteworthy. And uh, finally, some uh, pre-orders have uh, come on in, and I've been checking them out. Uh, admittedly, not as much as I'd like, but hey, you know me, you know this show. It's uh, never as much as I want. I need like one of those like hyperbolic time chambers from Dragon Ball Z, so I can just go in there, I can just play all of these like 90-hour RPGs that I have in my backlog, and then just come out, and it's like still like a Thursday or something. oh boy but uh yeah that will be uh pickups and impressions which is going to start wait for it three two one right now let's get to pickups and impressions and find out what i've been playing uh so first and foremost uh there was a big big anticipated release that came out uh earlier this week that being teenage mutant ninja turtles the Cowabunga Collection. And my pre-order for the limited edition finally came in uh, just yesterday. And, um, of course, it was shipped. I had it pre-ordered on Amazon, and they shipped it in a brown paper mailer. Not even, like, a, a bubble wrap envelope, a bubble mailer. We're talking, it's basically... A glorified paper bag that you'd get at the supermarket for, like, sticking your gallons of ice cream in so they don't melt on the way home. It was basically that, but for mailing. There's, like, a little adhesive strip on there and a couple of Amazon logos and a shipping label. That's basically it. Practically no protection for it whatsoever. So guess what happened? Yeah, uh, it arrived with one of the corners crushed in. And, like, the top tray that the uh, the game was resting in, it looked like it had just gotten all crushed up. And it's like, it, it was weird. It was like the damage to the inside was more intense than I would have expected considering the condition on the outside wasn't as terrible as I was expecting, but still not great. Uh, the corner of the uh, collector, collector's box got dinged up and... Uh, Customer service couldn't replace it because I guess it was sold out. So they knocked 10% off. So, eh, I can't complain too much. Uh, Truth be told, I really had a hard time 
sticking with my pre-order on that because it was like 150 bucks and the regular game itself is 40 and it's like mm. it was one of those things where i jumped on the pre-order just because they had been selling out repeatedly and it's like oh well i'll, I'll just i'll have it on you know secured in case i want to go through with it and if i want to cancel fantastic but you know gotta jump on it when you see it especially with pre-orders sometimes it's just i mean scalper bots or whatever are out there and they will just suck these things up just in a heartbeat but um you know basically the contents of the limited edition are i wouldn't say they were 110 dollars extra worth to be honest you know um they're neat don't get me wrong they're absolutely neat but i think this limited edition probably should have been around 100 maybe a little bit less if you want to wait until a sale or something but you know i stuck with it and um uh, basically, it uh, has uh, an art book with like a, bunch, a little bit of a blurb on each of the games in there. And of course, one of the funny things is that they made a typo and put an eight when it should have been a nine. So now it looks like Turtles in Time came out like eight years before the actual first arcade game did. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but I mean, the book itself is nice. It's soft cover. Um, there's also a cloth poster that I can't remember the dimensions on. It's not like a full, you know, 22 by 34 size poster or anything like that. But I think it's like 21 inches by maybe a foot, maybe a little bit more than that, something like that. And it's got some nice, um, I guess, like hand-drawn uh, art that's kind of like the uh, Turtles in Time cover on the SNES. You know, kind of inspired by that, but with like a little bit of a different style to it. And that that's neat. Uh, the cloth on it is kind of thick and firm. So it's it was actually pretty easy to fold back up and put back in the box. Uh, but let's see. In addition to that, it came with a um, acrylic display. And oh my god, I was sweating with this thing. Because I was so afraid I was not... I was not going to be able to put this thing together properly without something snapping. I mean, I was I was just like a surgeon doing like open heart surgery or something like that. It's like I'm just sweating profusely as I'm trying to delicately get these pieces of acrylic in place. And basically the, uh, the standee makes up like a little artwork of like the turtle standing on top of a building with like a skyline in the background. It's really neat. It's really neat, let me tell you. Um, but... You know, I was sweating profusely doing that. Um, let's see what else came with it. Uh, they had a pin set, like a five-piece pin set with like the uh, Technodrome, the Party Wagon, uh, Krang and Shredder were in there too. And I think the uh, the glider, the blimp or whatever, I think there was like some sort of like a pixel art rendition of that in there too. I mean, the contents were neat and it was also... um um. Oh god, it was like some collector cards for um for the uh, fighting game included with this and for, for some reason I'm spacing on the name. But uh basically the cards were done in almost like a pencil stock style material where um basically it's clear and you can hold it up to the light and you can kind of see like the artwork you know in its uh full glory. But that was neat too. I mean it's like the stuff was neat, but I'm not sure if I would have you know, opened my wallet and paid 110 bucks for it all by itself, you know? I jumped on it because I thought, eh, it's probably going to be hard to come by pretty soon, or uh, with my luck, this one's going to be like 80 bucks. <laughs> but I think that does it for the contents of the limited edition, and that just leaves the game itself. The emulation of the games that are included with this, and it's 13 games in both the uh, U.S. and Japanese versions of them, and the games that are included include the original arcade game, uh, Turtles in Time on the arcade, and on uh, the Super Nintendo. Uh, I'm trying to remember all these off the top of my head, but I know I'm going to forget a few. Uh, you also have the... Uh, the trilogy on the NES, as well as the NES port of the fighting game, Tournament Fighters. I think I think that's what it is. I think I finally remember the name. Uh, you get Tournament Fighters on NES, Super NES, and the Genesis. I mean, it's like they they basically went through and you know picked up just about every Konami made early Turtles game and stuck it in this package. <laughs> 
And um, you have the trilogy on the GBA. Um, like I said, the trilogy on the NES. And I, I went straight for uh, Turtles 3 because I remember that was like one of my biggest NES uh, game-selling regrets. It's like when I was getting my original PlayStation back in 96, 97, something like that, um, of course, when you're the, you know around that age, I think it was probably like maybe 10 or 11, something like that. Um, uh, when you're around that that age, you know, you have to do a lot of work. You have to trade in some games in order to get that new fancy schmancy system. And I ended up purging most of my NES games, except for the ones that they'd only give me just like a dollar or two or something like that on. And it's like, my mom's like, hey, no, 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 you're not going to trade those in there. That's a little too light. And the ones that remained were pretty much the uh, extent of my NES collection for quite some time. But, um, you know, in hindsight, selling the uh, Turtles 2 and 3, which are both in this, um, it's like those were some of my biggest regrets. And that's one of the things that really sold me on getting this collection. It's like, oh, hey, I can finally undo that NES mistake from long, long ago. And, um, uh, you know, just sitting down with these games is just, it's a delight, let me tell you. Because, I, I mean, I grew up with these things. And, uh, I mean, with the arcade versions of uh, TMNT and Turtles in Time, I mean, I was able to jump on the uh, the arcade one-up uh, machine for these. And uh, so I've been able to play those games for a couple of years now. And I just, I, I love sitting down. I don't think I've ever eaten either of them surprisingly but um you know they've always been like one of those nostalgic arcade experiences for me and they're on here and the versions that are in the tmnt cowabunga collection are basically the same as far as i can tell from what i've played uh as the arcade one up version which means that you are going to have a different rendition of the theme song which is it's close enough, but if, I mean, if you are a super big Turtles fan, you're gonna notice that it's not exactly the same thing, and maybe that'll bug you. I mean, it, it bugs me to a little bit of a degree, but not as not as bad as it could have. Because I mean, the rendition's fine. It's not the original, but it's it's certainly passable. Um, surprisingly, they uh, still kept in the uh, um. Oh, what do they call it? Um, Pizza Power. Pizza Power from the uh, dreadful Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, rock album. <laughs> uh, they kept that in the uh, intro for Turtles in Time. And um, do yourself a favor. YouTube the uh, Coming Out of Their Shells tour. Uh, you are just not ready for the amount of cringe and awesome all wrapped into one. <laughs> Believe me, that is a live show that you just don't want to miss. And it has, um, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the guy from Supermarket Sweep. I know I'm going to remember his name when I uh, turn off the record feature on this. But yeah, he's in there doing uh, like the job of a reporter or something like that. And uh, I mean, that thing is just dreadful in the best way possible. But, um, you know... Uh, I've, you know, like I said, I played uh, TMNT 3. That, with the emulation on that, seems fine. Uh, same with the arcade game. And they also have the Game Boy games in here, too. Uh, they have the three of them. I, I played the first one a little bit in this, but I didn't spend too much time with it. But, um, I mean, overall, I haven't seen any, you know, any unfaithful errors in any of these games you know you'll have the graphical glitches of the nes games and stuff like that but um i mean overall everything looks great and this thing is packed with extras too you can listen to all the game's soundtracks uh they have screenshots from the tv show uh tons of production art i mean it's i mean they did a hell of a good job on it and i think the uh the emulation was handled by um digital eclipse who did like a lot of the capcom arcade ports from the PS2 era. I mean, they were like a big name in porting old games to new hardware, like in that 2000s stretch. So it's, you know, it's good to see that name around, you know, back around again. 
Uh, it's probably always been there, but it's just I haven't seen any of their uh, games in recent years. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, I mean, the uh, Cowabunga collection is definitely worth picking up if you have a lot of nostalgia for these old Turtles games, which, you know, I do. Um, you know, I mean, I just before I went on the air, uh, I saw an ad for, or I saw, I think it was like Wario 64 on Twitter tweet, something about Myers having it for 30 bucks. So, I mean, it's probably going to drop down to that 20 to $25 range relatively quickly once the hype kind of slows down a little bit. But, you know, it's, from what I've seen, it's absolutely worth picking up. And, um... You know, if you can get the limited edition, yeah, wait for a sale on it. But, I mean, what what it does have with it, it is pretty neat, I gotta say. It, it is pretty good. Now, speaking of pretty good, another thing that I picked up this week, or this past week and a half or whatever, uh, is something that might surprise you that I hadn't gotten around to picking up yet. And that being WWE 2K22. I got the uh, PS4 version because they uh, were doing some sort of a 50% off sale. And I thought, you know what? I don't think it's going to dip that much further on Black Friday. I mean, I could see it maybe going to 25. I don't know if they'd go all the way down to 20 on it. So I thought, you know what? What the heck? I'll jump on it because, you know, wrestling games are my thing. It's one of my uh, strongest genres, if you will. I mean, I've, I haven't counted how many wrestling games I have in my collection, but uh, it's probably my second most populated genre behind maybe fighting games or platformers or something like that. Um, and uh, so basically, here is the deal with it. So as some of you may remember from the uh, wrestling special I did a few months back, uh, WWE 2K21 ended up getting cancelled because 2K20 was an absolute dumpster fire. Glitchy mess, just awful experience whatsoever. You know, something you'd just never want to go out of your way to play until they uh, really got around to patching it up a bit, and I think they got it into an okay state. But um, at launch, it was just a dumpster fire. And uh, so... They've had an extra year of development time, and this was basically a make-or-break game for 2K and WWE's relationship. So uh, they decided to go back to the drawing board a bit, and they streamlined the controls. They kind of adjusted the gameplay a little bit to make it more... <sighs> I hesitate to call it, like, arcade because it still has that 2K game pacing to it for the most part, but the controls definitely feel a lot a lot easier to pick up and play. Um, it's like somewhere in the mix between an arcade and a simulation. I guess that's the best way to put it. And you now have a grapple button, which is mapped to circle. Um, you have a light and a heavy attack button, which are square and X. And then you have a block slash counter button for a triangle. And... Um, some of the other controls are handled just by the shoulder buttons. Uh, I think running, you pull the left trigger, if I remember correctly. And uh, doing a special or a finisher is like requiring you to hit the R1, I want to say, and square or triangle, uh, depending on if you want to hit a signature or a finisher move. I mean, basically, all the changes that they made to the controls have resulted in a far easier uh, pick-up-and-play experience. And, um, you know, basically the gameplay itself, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the differences are kind of nuanced, but it's like with, because of the new controls and the new way they approach things a bit, which is kind of somewhat reminiscent of a fighting game, I guess you'd say to a certain degree, maybe more like a party brawler than a traditional 3D fighting game. Um, you know, because of that, it just... It feels fresh. It's like the experience just feels easier to enjoy, I guess is the best way to put it. Because I picked up the control the first time, and, you know, I was learning the, the controls because, you know, like I said, everything's different. And, you know, I went out of the ring, I accidentally grabbed a steel chair, and 
bashed, I think it was Rhea Ripley's head in with Sasha Banks <laughs> using a steel chair right in front of the referee, got DQ'd like the first minute of the match. <laughs> and um, then I paused the game, you know, I loaded up a rematch. And I looked at the controls and it's like, okay, you know, you hit the circle button and then like square or X plus a direction to do a grapple move. And these two buttons are punches and kicks. And um, speaking of punches and kicks, they basically have like different chain combos, depending on whether you're pressing X or square and forward and back or whatnot. So they basically have combos in there now. That's like one of the big gameplay changes. So, um, you know, it's like I look at these things and I'm like, okay, that seems pretty simple. You know, you use the R stick to, uh, to pin the opponent. And it's basically, if you want to kick out from a pin, it's just mashing X, or you can do like the timing thing in the uh, in the options. You can select to enable that that gameplay mini game instead, if you want. I don't know why you would, um, but it's like you know, I, I looked at these controls and I unpaused the game, and I ended up going on to win that match. <laughs> so um, I mean, obviously, it is pick up and play friendly. Um, you know, overall, I mean, it's like what really kind of got my attention as far as the presentation goes was the lighting this time around. And it, it seems like a, some sort of a weird thing to highlight. But I know in the last couple of years, they've been trying to get the lighting a little bit more realistic for the WWE games. And this time around, it just looks fucking phenomenal. And I'm playing on a standard PS4. I'm not playing on a Pro or PS5 or anything like that. It looks fucking phenomenal on just the standard PS4. They've really, really nailed it. It's like you see, um, like, the LED boards around the arena. It's like sometimes, you know, in certain entrances, it's like they will really, really pop because, like, the arena lights will be kind of low. The, the LEDs will be shining brightly. I think there might be some laser lights sometimes, uh, depending on whose entrance it is. But it's like all of it looks phenomenal, including the character models. They just, they are spectacular. Some of the best I've ever seen in a WWE game and I mean just overall it's like there's a lot of like under the hood changes that may not necessarily be as pronounced to people that don't play the 2k games very much but you know to somebody like me it's like these differences they feel just significant I mean it, it just feels like a breath of fresh air and um you know it's just it's one of those things where it's like, I, I got it, and I could not put it down. I mean, I'm, like, going into the uh, the edit mode, and I'm, like, recreating all the uh, ring attires from, like, previous years, you know, in the 2K games or back in NXT or whatever for some talent. And it's like, I, I just, I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm playing that thing at, like, 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, <laughs> it's like I'm having a hard time putting the controller down. And... Um, it's like I'm moving in, getting, you know, everybody's ring gear updated and stuff like that and entrances updated and whatnot, which is always part of the fun about a new 2K game. It's like I tend to buy them like every other year, it seems to be. And, um, yeah, this has been really, really interesting, let me tell you. And, um, I mean, overall, I mean, my experience with it has been largely very favorable. Uh, there's... You know, I have had some issues with glitches here and there. Um, I'd select somebody's, uh, somebody's uh, like the backstage Titantron type thing. Like you have the big screen up top, you know, above the entrance, and then you have like the uh, LED boards for the stage and like the uh, the front of the stage or the back of the stage, however you want to word it. And when I'm trying to create the an entrance for um, Judgment Day, you know, the, the group with Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley. And I had set it, set the background to be, I think it was Damian Priest. Um, and every time I saved it and I went to preview it, it kept playing Finn Balor's uh, entrance video or uh, background video and stuff like that. It's like, I was having some problems with that. Um... But for the most part, this has been one of the uh, less glitchy 2K games that I've played in recent years. And of course, part of that is probably the fact that I'm coming into it kind of late. Uh, you know, it's been out for a couple of months. They've had several rounds of patches. I had to download like 11 or 12 gigs worth of uh, patch data. 
So, um, I mean, they've obviously made some improvements to it, but I think at this point, you know, it's been it's been very impressive. I think if you've tried some of the WWE games in the, the last couple of years, you might want to give this one a shot. Maybe, you know, red box it for a day or two, see what you think. But, uh, you know, everything about the gameplay just feels, like, familiar yet refreshed at the same time. And it's like, when you really get into some of the matches, it's like, I know there are times when I thought, there's no way in hell the computer's going to kick out of this. And somehow, some way, in true dramatic WWE fashion, they do. And it doesn't feel like, oh, the computer's cheating or anything like that. It just feels more genuinely dramatic, like, OMG, they really dug that deep inside and found a way to kick out <laughs> before the count of three. I mean, it's like, there have been so many moments like that. I've had a lot of great, great edge-of-your-seat matches, and I haven't even had to tweak any of the uh, the balancing sliders or anything. I ended up cranking up the difficulty to Legendary, and that was pretty much it. And I'm I'm just having a blast with it. Now, uh, one thing they did add, I believe this was new for this year, is something called My Faction, which is basically the WWE's equivalent of Ultimate Team in other modes, or other games, I should say. And it's card-based. You basically develop your, as the name implies, faction by uh, collecting cards. And um, I have not messed around with it, but apparently some pieces of attire are locked behind it, like behind certain cards. At least it's my understanding. Because um, I was trying to recreate Becky Lynch's WrestleMania 35 outfit, which is the, um, you know, it's like the black, I guess... I'm not sure if it's leather or or plastic or whatever whatever it is. Rubber, maybe. But, you know, it's basically, you know, black leather, and it's got, like, the yellow uh, stripes and the uh, studs or whatever on the sides. Neat, neat look. And uh, I could not find the upper, the upper portion of it, no matter how hard I looked. And I uh, eventually went online and searched it out. And somebody said it was something along the lines of it being locked in uh, the My Faction mode behind one of the cards or something like that. And I'm not crazy about that, dude. Uh, I know it's one of those games where it's like kind of the microtransaction-fueled type thing, so I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole. But when you're missing some important parts of the, the ring attire, it's kind of hard not to, you know? But, um, I mean, overall, my experience with 2K22 has been largely favorable. I've, I intentionally avoided spending any time with it today because I was afraid I wasn't going to uh, feel like doing the show by the time I actually quit it. <laughs> oh, man. I, I've really been putting in the hours on that. And, um, but, I mean, overall, it, it's, it's a blast. I'm having a great time with it. Um, and definitely check it out if you have not uh, given the 2K games a play in a couple of years. And even if you play 2K20, give this one a shot. You know, like I said, Redbox it or something like that. And I think you will actually have a pretty good time with it. And speaking of having a good time, I uh, spent some time with Splatoon 3's Splatfest world premiere which was like one of these uh, one-day tech test Splatfest things. And if you've never played uh, a Splatfest in Splatoon, it's basically like one of these special events where they'll give you uh, a category of some sort where you have to choose one option or the other. Like, uh, what's the best uh, uh, barbecue item? Is it hamburgers or hot dogs? You know, stuff like that. I think that was actually one of the... Uh, uh, one of the questions in recent years. And you pick your team, and as you play the online modes, uh, if you win, the uh, the points, like you earn like some prestige or something like that, that goes towards whichever team you're playing for. You know, hot dogs or hamburgers. And uh, basically, you try to win the Splatfest for your side by doing it on the battlefield. <laughs> I mean, it's a neat concept. And with the uh, Splatoon 3 one, 
in this demo, they uh, had, which is best, paper, scissors, or rock? And I'm team scissors because, you know, scissor me daddy bass. <laughs> you gotta love the, uh, you gotta love the, uh, the scissors if you are a wrestling fan of, you know, or at least a fan of a certain AEW tag team. Because everybody loves the acclaimed. Uh, so I've represented scissors. And um, they were leading at halftime. Basically, this took place over the course of like 12 hours, maybe. It was like a one-day tech test, but the demo actually went live a little bit early, so you could just kind of walk around the plaza and whatnot. But, um, so Scissors was leading at halftime, and what they do for the new Splatfests in this game, one of the new features of it is tricolor battles. I think that's what they're called. And you'll have three teams playing on one battlefield. But because Splatoon only supports up to eight players, you have two teams of two. The two teams that are not in the lead of the Splatfest at halftime playing against four members of the team that is leading the Splatfest at halftime. And uh, basically, you try to... Well, basically, if you are on the leading team, which I was on that at that point... Uh, you are basically defending this, um, I can't remember if they called it like a buoy or a beacon. I think maybe it was a beacon. And you had to defend the beacon at the center part of the stage while also inking turf, you know, getting your turf color uh, percentage up. And it was just a chore, dude, because if you lost control of, I think it was like two of the um, two of the beacons, then you have ink of that team's color raining down on the battlefield in various different sections. So it is very, very hard to, uh, to pick up that momentum once you've lost control of those beacons. And it basically created some pretty significant ba uh, balance issues. And as a result, uh, Team Rock won. Ah. <sighs> I'm still heartbroken about that. But, I mean, as far as the gameplay goes, I mean, it's, a, again, like with the 2K20-22 to 22 or whatever, it's a nuanced difference, you know? Um, there's new features, of course. You can turn around quicker in certain circumstances or something like that. And, um, I mean, they've basically added a whole bunch of changes under the hood and a few new weapon types and whatnot. But to be honest, I, it doesn't feel that much different from Splatoon 2. It's got a few new bells and whistles. I mean, like I said, the tricolor battles, but, you know, those so far uh, have some balancing issues to them, which basically makes them not all that great to begin with, at least at the moment. But, you know, I'm sure they'll figure out some way of balancing that out. And, you know, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's just... I feel like what happened with Splatoon 3 is that they planned for this to be on the Switch 2, Switch Pro, next generation Switch, however you want to call it. But because of the uh, chip shortage, the semiconductor shortage, uh, the pandemic, basically this thing ended up getting finished before there was any new hardware for it to launch on, so they just put it on the Switch anyways. Because, you know, I mean, I'm sure they'll do some fine stuff with the uh, with the story mode or whatever. But I'll be honest, I cannot tell you why this game exists on the Switch when Splatoon 2 is out there and does a fantastic job already. That's the only thing I can really think of happening with this. Because it, Splatoon 3 feels almost unnecessary. I mean, I'm absolutely going to play it and I'm going to pick it up. Because I enjoyed the series. I enjoyed the, the, uh, the franchise. But even I'd be the first to tell you that, you know, it's very, very similar to what's already out on the Switch. So I don't know why this would be out here, if not for the fact that this was intended for next-gen hardware, but it just didn't <laughs> come out in time. And they didn't want to uh, delay launching the game anymore, because, I mean, I mean, let's be honest here, we're probably at least a year or two out from a uh, Switch 2. So it doesn't make sense for them to sit on that game for 
that long when it's pretty much ready, you know, ready to go already. I mean, I can understand them sitting on something like advanced wars because of everything going on in the Ukraine or whatnot. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, sitting on this for no good reason besides, you know, the console we were intended to put it out on isn't out yet. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, they just pretty much ran out of time with uh, getting a new hardware system out. So they put it on the regular Switch. That's that's all I can think of happening with this because it really doesn't feel all that different. I mean, it's got great environments, great charm to it, but, I mean, that's standard for Splatoon. It's great already being done on Splatoon 2. But um, moving on, the uh, next title I picked up, and I only put about an hour into this one too, surprise, surprise, uh, is Live Alive for the Switch. And this is an HD 2D remaster from Square Enix of a Super Famicom exclusive title from back in the 90s. And basically you have, I, I, it's either seven or eight different stories that take place in different time periods. And um, basically you can play them through. It's like shorter chapters of a larger game, I guess you'd say. And you can play the chapters in any order that you want. If you want to start at the future and work your way back, that's great. I'm going in chronological order, so I started with uh, these cavemen. I can't remember much of the uh, scenario. Name, I'm just not good with names lately. Uh, but uh, you play as this caveman, and um, basically he's he wants to go out on his first hunt. And because he's a caveman... You know, and I mean, it's they basically take some, you know, some creative licensing with this. It's not like a simulation of an actual caveman. It's like, well, uh, like, for example, cavemen pretty much predate the use of spoken language. So in this one, they're communicating through grunts, through gestures. Uh, there's like some emotion bubbles here and there like, oh, I'm mad or something like that. Um and it's actually a neat idea and one I want to spend some more time with. But um, as far as the gameplay goes, it's basically a um, a kind of like a grid-based uh, real-time strategy type game, I guess you'd say, or a strategy RPG maybe. And, um, you know, certain moves will be able to affect enemies in this certain block or a certain amount of blocks or a certain direction or whatever. So you'll need to position your fighters in, you know, just the right place to hit the most enemies without hurting your allies or anything like that. And, I mean, the game has uh, some rather uh, hilariously, uh, uh, I, I guess, potty mouth is the best way to put it, uh, takes on attacks. Like, uh, one of the, um, the main the main caveman's buddy uh will throw poop at enemies <laughs> and he regularly scratches his ass <laughs> i mean it's stuff like that there's like a fart attack in there too i mean it's it's fun a really funny type of sense of humor that you don't necessarily see as much of nowadays i guess uh maybe it's just me or whenever you do see it it's not done right but um you know, it's a game I'm looking forward to spending some more time with because it is done really, really well. It's like a great mix of like the, uh, uh, I'd say it's close to the Octopath Traveler style, but it doesn't maybe have quite as much of a flair to the world. You know, it's like when you look at some of the stuff like Octopath Traveler and uh, Triangle Strategy, it's like they really go over the top with some of the effects. But this one feels a little bit more straightforward. Like, they tried to make a 3D version of the original 2D 2D game while still preserving a lot of the pixel art style to it. And it actually looks really good for what it is. Um, I don't think it will blow away, you know, people that played Octopath or Triangle Strategy. But I think in an, in its own right, it looks really good. And the uh, the soundtrack is excellent to it. It's, it's like, a, I can't tell if they 100% just ported the old music or if they, like, took you know sections of the old music and paired it up with newer stuff because I, like i said this is a uh, a japanese exclusive game before so you know i've never played it and um 
it's been like a cult classic, but I've never done anything with the original, so I don't know much of anything to uh, compare it with. But um, what I've seen of it and what I've played of it has been very, very good. I mean, it does have random battles, so um, that's that's one of the only knocks against it, I'd say. But um, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to spending some more time with it. Uh, once I get through uh, Neo, The World Ends With You, that's when I'm trying to focus on... It's like I try to play just one JRPG at a time. And God, is it difficult to do that. Because there's just so much good stuff coming out. Well, the last thing I have to talk about is another pre-order that I've been waiting months to get my hands on, and that being Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, Burst Forth Chorogon Breath. And this is a shmup based on the anime, based on the manga, probably based on the light novel, <laughs> um, of um, this dragon maid that has basically fallen in love with a normal human, and um, in this particular instance, they've gotten trapped inside a computer, so they have to uh, fight their way out of various video games, like parodies of like something like Final Fantasy. Instead, it's called like Fin Fantasy or something like that. And uh, they, you basically have to uh, blast your way through bullet hell gameplay. <laughs> this is one of those titles where I'm just like surprised it even got a physical release over here. It's like somewhat obscure anime franchise uh it's a vertical scrolling shmup uh and it's a bullet hell on top of it <laughs> yeah I, I did not expect this one to get a physical release and it probably didn't get a big print run to begin with but uh the gameplay is actually surprisingly solid uh or at the very least it was you know a lot more solid once i went in and changed the controls a bit because they had it set so uh the main fire button was mapped to uh, one of the shoulder buttons. And it's it's by default, because I guess you use the face buttons for various different attacks and whatnot. And also between uh, switching between your different dragon girls. And, um, you know, it, it did not feel right, so I went into the settings and I, you know, changed the uh, swapping girls buttons to the uh, shoulder buttons and the other ones onto the face buttons, and everything was just peachy keen after that. And, you know, as far as the gameplay goes, you can, uh, like I said, switch uh, between uh, one of three characters. And if one of them gets flat out defeated, they are gone for the rest of the playthrough, as far as I can tell. Because I uh, finished one stage, but I lost uh, Toru, who's the main uh, dragon maid, if you will. And um, I only had two other dragons to swap between afterwards. So they don't, like, refresh after each stage. At least on the settings that I played. I'm not sure if there's some other setting I need to tweak for that. But, um, I mean, it's it's surprisingly difficult as far as, like, bullet hell games go. I mean, I think this one might surprise you. You might look at the cover and think, oh, this thing's not going to be all that difficult or challenging or whatever. And then it's just throwing, like, a hundred bullets at you in all sorts of different patterns. And... I mean, it's pretty neat, and it's got a shit ton of unlockables in it. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm sitting there, and this thing is, like, kicking my ass. And it's like, when you restart, you don't, you know, just simply, you know, start over where you were, and, you know, it's just a game over, your score resets, and that's that. When you restart, you restart at the beginning of the stage. So it's it's quite tricky, and, you know, I think it's a deceptively good bullet hell game from a source or a franchise where you wouldn't even expect a shmup to come from to begin with. And, you know, the uh, presentation elements to it are, it's like a mix. It's like the gameplay looks very budget or basic visually, like some of the effects. They look very basic. But, uh, you know, the menus are, you know, brightly colored, great backgrounds. You have character art in there as well for, you know, some of the uh, visual novel sequences. And, I mean, overall, it's actually pretty decently well done. And there's, like, like I said, a shit ton of collectibles there. You can gather, like, I want to say it's, like, pieces of different artwork. And you have to beat the stage in order to keep the artwork, I think. I could be wrong about that part, but... Basically, there's a whole ton of replay incentive to this. 
and I'm looking forward to spending a lot more time with it uh, whenever I get a chance for a shmup. But, um, I mean, it, it's supposed to be a bit on the shorter side. I think there's like three stages plus two extras after that. And because um, I, I think it shows like five stages to choose from as far as like the practice mode goes. But uh, I didn't get far enough to experience the entire game. So um, it's either three or five. Uh, if I get it wrong, don't hold it against me. And uh, that will do it for my pickups and impressions. So now it's time to talk about collecting news. And the first story is that Sony has raised the price of the PS5 in almost every territory except the U.S. And it's a significant raise, too. This is a uh, about a 10% increase that has been caused by all the uh, inflation that's been going on. And... Uh, Man, that is, that is tough. I mean, you know, when you raise the price of your system, even if it is understandable to your consumers, you know, even if they can logically understand, okay, price of everything's going up, so I can understand this to a certain degree, it's like there's no way that this does not cost them business, especially when you have Nintendo and Microsoft saying that they have no plans to increase their prices to combat inflation. So, uh, this is really going to, um, this is going to hammer the PS5 support internationally. And that's something that Sony's already had a little bit of trouble, uh, you know, keeping the momentum going because, you know, Xbox support has been stronger than in, uh, recent years, I think. I think it's, uh, I think worldwide numbers, it's like outselling the uh, previous generations of the Xboxes by this point in their uh, lifespans or something like that. I'm not sure if it was international or just in the U.S. I saw some sort of a graph about it earlier. And, of course, I got distracted and forgot to make notes. Oh, boy. But um, I just... I feel like if this is the route that they're going down, which, I mean, I guess it is, uh, I don't think it can be any surprise if the PS5 loses a significant amount of market share, at least internationally. I mean, here in the U.S., I mean, it's going to pretty much be on pace unless something, you know, catastrophic happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I think internationally, I think people are really going to feel it, and they're going to see cheaper options like the Switch, which is a couple hundred dollars, at least with U.S. currency. Uh, cheaper than the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, which is going to be cheaper by comparison. Maybe not, you know, as dramatic a difference as the uh, Switch, but still nonetheless cheaper. You know, I think that's probably going to really, really affect Sony's presence. And, uh, man, it's I don't know what's going to happen with that, but uh, I, I definitely can't see this... Uh, going Sony's way, and that's uh, that's no good, dude. I mean, I primarily play Nintendo, but I want to see all these companies do well. And speaking of Nintendo, here's something that, quite frankly, nobody wants to see except for maybe Nintendo and some publishers. Uh, Denuvo DRM is apparently in the works and coming to Switch. Or at the very least, it's going to be available for developers or publishers or whatever to insert into their games. And this is being done to combat uh, game piracy and emulation. And I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that you can get a Switch emulator running on the Valve Steam Deck. And um, I wonder how long Nintendo is really going to tolerate this before they uh, lawyer up and say, you know, you need to block these emulators or we're going to sue Valve into oblivion, you know? <laughs> uh, I think Valve needs to probably get a little bit proactive about blocking these uh, emulators from running on the Steam Deck. Uh, just because if Nintendo gets upset about it, they are going to have a really, really strong case against, uh, against Valve and the Steam Deck over their ability to play these things. I, I think... You know, they could say that Valve is turning a blind eye to it if they don't block it. 
And, you know, nobody wants, you know, nobody wants de nouveau DRM in Switch titles because apparently on PC, the uh, DRM causes uh, some significant performance dips in some games. It's like if they uh, strip out the uh, de nouveau DRM and, you know, get the game running outside of that, apparently it like runs a lot better, you know, depending on what title it is. But, um, I mean, I can understand why they would, you know, take some of these measures because, I mean, Switch piracy is out there, Switch emulation is out there, and it's on rival hybrid hardware. So it's, I mean, it's one of these things where I can understand the need for it, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. Because, quite frankly, you know, Switch games have enough issues with performance as it is. They don't need to have some shitty DRM on top of it. Oh, boy. Well, moving on, one of my favorite strategy RPG franchises, or I'll go ahead and say my favorite strategy RPG franchise, uh, Disgaea is getting a seventh installment. And that's seventh as in the number seven, we're not counting D2 and any other spinoffs <laughs> that uh, came out a few years ago. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Disgaea 7 being announced uh, so far in Japan, but there is going to be an NIS America showcase for 2022 streaming on September 7th. Uh, looks like at 8 a.m. Pacific. So most likely that's going to be one of the titles that gets revealed in the uh, U.S. localization for it. But uh, this has been announced for the Switch, the PS4, and the PS5 in Japan, and the... Uh, the trailer shows like kind of like a feudal Japan setting uh, to some degree. Um, and of course, the trailer's in Japanese, so I couldn't really make out some of the uh, details about what was going on. I mean, the, the, it's hard when the text is in Japanese and you can't read it. But um, yeah, it looks like a feudal Japan style setting and the main character is kind of like a samurai. Uh, a little bit kind of reminds me of um, a little bit of Mitsurugi from... Uh, Soul Calibur, but um, this one is going to retain the 3D graphics style that was used in Disguise 6, and it's also going to have a uh, cat girl with like an old-timey uh, B-movie sci-fi blaster <laughs> of some sort, so I mean, it's going to be typical Disguise craziness, so uh, that's definitely something I'm going to look forward to, and uh, on top of it all, I got three words for you, Prinny sumo wrestling <laughs> yeah that's apparently going to be some sort of a feature in there and uh it looks about as fucking crazy as you'd expect so i am i'm just thrilled to uh see what this game has to offer and uh as far as the uh release date we only have the japanese date which is january 26 2023 but uh definitely already a front runner for my uh, most anticipated titles of 2023. Hashtag that's getting bought. And something else that will get bought if they uh, do indeed decide to make it is Capcom versus SNK3 or SNK versus Capcom as it was worded around here. Uh, apparently both parties, both Capcom and SNK are interested in a revival of some sorts for uh, Capcom versus SNK. And uh, Yaoyuki Oda of SNK, and forgive me if I butchered the name, uh, told uh, VGC, definitely in the future. That's something that I think everybody on all sides in both parties are interested in making a reality. Let me tell you, I, I think about games like this you know, when I get a few minutes and I start daydreaming about, like, fighting games and stuff like that, I think about stuff like Capcom versus SNK3, and I think, how should they do it? Do they do it, like, in a 3D style? Like, the modern style 3D? But, I mean, the budget would get up there, which means a smaller roster, which means not everybody's going to be satisfied with the roster. Or, do they try to do things like a... Uh, a uh, modern retro title, like retain the sprite artwork of like Capcom versus SNK2 and like the 3D backgrounds or the 2D backgrounds from the first game or whatever, and try to make it feel like an authentic 90s, early 2000s style fighting game. 
and then just build off the roster of two, which already had, uh, what was it, like 50 or 48 or 50 fighters in it? Maybe a little bit more, maybe closer to 60? I can't remember. And, um, you know, build upon that with some of the newer characters that have come out or some that weren't represented before. I mean, I almost want want this to be like a modern retro title as opposed to just modern 3D graphics. I just I feel like we'd get more content out of it and it would kind of nail that that retro feel that you know you really get from those older Capcom versus SNK titles. It's like you you can have modern games, you can have, you know, um Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3 and whatnot and I mean, it's a great game and you know, those are great games and whatnot. But ultimately there's a style, a feel, a vibe if you will to the old school 2D sprite based artwork that you just can't get any other way. And I'd almost like to see them do that with like maybe like a smaller a smaller title just to kind of test the waters with it. They could, you know, if they are, you know, reusing a lot of assets and you know making some, you know, rather limited 3D artwork for the backgrounds and whatnot, you know, they could probably, you know, get a decent game out there while not necessarily breaking the budget. And if there's, you know, a significant demand for it, then maybe then you think about doing like a AAA version of, you know, Capcom versus SNK 4 or something like that. But no matter what, it really does need to happen. Because that is like one of the best fighting games I've ever played. I, I still go back to it every couple of months. You know, whenever I feel like a fighting game on the PS2, usually that title is like one of the first I grab, like that and Tekken Tag 2 and... Uh, or not Tekken Tag 2, excuse me, Tekken Tag 1. And, um, you know, Soul Calibur 2. That There's the two. There's the two I was thinking of. So, yeah, that's a possible title for the future to be uh, keeping your fingers crossed for. Well, unfortunately, uh, one title that's already out that uh, you might want to take notice of is uh, this warning about Death Smiles 1 Plus 2, uh, specifically the physical version of the game, which I have talked about, I have picked it up, I have played it, and I've confirmed for myself that this is indeed the case, at least with the uh, Switch version, at least to a certain extent. I, I haven't picked up the paid DLC, but well, I'll, I'll explain uh, so basically, uh, some reviews on Amazon for the PS4 physical release were saying that players are unable to download any updates for the game. And they're also having trouble syncing trophies or even using the paid DLC with the physical version. And I know from my own personal experience, I have not been able to update beyond uh, version 1.0 that uh, comes on the cartridge. And I bought the game digitally when it came out, so that one is up to version 1.3 or 1.4. And, uh, yeah, no matter how many times I try, and I just tried a few days ago, uh, I cannot update the uh, the space for the uh, the physical version of Death Smiles 1 Plus 2, because there's basically two icons now. The one for the digital version, one for the physical version, as opposed to other titles where you have a... Um, you know, one icon for both digital and physical. And um, this one creates two icons, and that second icon cannot be uh, updated, so you can't sync trophies to it, and you can't use the paid DLC with the physical version. So uh, definitely bear that in mind. I uh, reached out to uh, City Connect, uh, City Connection, is it? Something like that, on Twitter, and I did not hear back on it. And that was a couple of days ago. I might need to poke them again. So um, I uh, I don't know what to tell you on that besides uh, go into this with the expectation that uh, what you buy is what you're going to be able to play. And uh, at least for the moment, that's not going to include any updates or some DLC. So uh, you might need to stick with that digital version if you want to use any of that extra content. Now, moving on, we have a new title from Square Enix, and this is a third entry in a relatively new franchise that came out last year, like late last year. That being the third voice of cards, 
uh, game, which is a uh, card-based, standalone, turn-based RPG adventure. And uh, this one is going to be called uh, Voice of Cards, The Beasts of Burden. And this is coming to the Switch, the PS4, and Steam in less than two weeks. It's going to be hitting on September 13th. And this is the third game that they've put out in a year. And um, I have never gotten around to trying it, but uh, all the content for this looks, you know, pretty entertaining. It seems like one of those games where it's like if it if it's your style, then you're probably going to have a good time with it. And I think the previous games came out at thirty bucks, so I I'm pretty sure this one's going to be about thirty as well, if I had to guess. And uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty neat because I uh, I checked out the trailer for it. Looks pretty good. Um, I I really do need to try the demo for the first one. I know I have it downloaded, I just haven't sat down with it, and it's just driving me crazy, because it's like, every time I see it, it's like, geez, they got three games out, and I haven't even played the damn demo for the first? Oh, boy. Well, moving on, we have news of a new arcade racer, and it's a actually a sequel to a title that uh, many people have played, and a lot have really enjoyed, myself included. That being a sequel to Horizon Chase Turbo called Horizon Chase 2. And you'll be able to get your hands on this one pretty quickly as long as you uh, play on Apple Arcade. Because this one's going to be hitting on September 9th. Uh, so just over a week from now. And um, then uh, next year in 2023... Uh, you will get it on consoles and PC. And this looks really, really good. They've improved the environments quite a bit. Uh, and it's they've even added point-to-point races, I guess you'd call them. Uh, kind of like uh, Cruising USA or whatever. So um, in addition to the uh, lapped races. So, um, I mean, it's it looks really good. I think it's probably going to do very, very well. If it builds off of everything that made the first game great, then this is going to be absolutely worth playing. Especially if you like arcade racers, because this was like one of the standouts for this generation. And, um, you know, in the meantime, you might want to check out uh, Cruisin' Blast on the Switch, because that's getting pretty cheap now, and uh, it's really, really good. That's an arcade port. I think I might have talked about it on the show uh, around the beginning. You know, maybe uh, March? Something like that? I'm up to, like, what, 23 episodes now? Something like that? So it's hard to remember everything now. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, the last story I have on collecting news is news of another shmup. And that being Dodon Pachi Resurrection. And this is already out digitally on, uh, I know, Switch and PlayStation. I don't know about Xbox, but maybe there too. And this is specifically news on the physical version of it. The limited run uh, physical editions of Dodon Pachi. And... Um, this is going to have several different versions. I think you can get the standalone game itself for 35 or 40. And uh, the next version up, let's see, it's okay, it's probably going to be 40 because the uh, the uh, Steelbook edition, which has a slip cover and the uh, Steelbook, a nice looking Steelbook, I might add, uh, will run you $59.99. And uh, the next version up, which is the uh, collector's edition, is uh, $84.99, and it includes the game, the steelbook, the slipcover, a nice collector's box, a chiptune arrangement album, which means if it's like with um, Escaluda 2, that means it's probably going to have chiptune music DLC built into the physical game, I believe. Anyways, and um, last but not least, an 18 by 24 poster with some very, very nice key art. And last but certainly not least, they, like with the uh, previous two Cave Physical Editions on Limited Run Games, they have a special mini Switch Arcade peripheral, which is skinned in Dodonpachi. And you can basically stick your Switch or your OLED 
uh, into this accessory, mount one of the uh, controllers in the front of it, and play it like a mini arcade cabinet. And there's even an opening on the side so you can uh, plug in a, um, a uh, power cable just in case. And it looks really neat. It's got like one of these, I'm not sure if it's lighted or not, but it looks like it's lighted uh, like a 25 cent, uh, like an insert coin uh, section in the front. So that's pretty neat too. And I think this runs, I want to say this, there's going to be like a special bundle where you can get the deluxe edition or the collector's edition, excuse me, and the arcade peripheral for uh, $5 cheaper than buying them separately. So I think it's like 120 I think that's what they did in the past with um, uh, Mushihime-sama and Dodon... Or not Dodonpachi, uh, uh, Espgaluda. So, um, you know, that's yet another physical release for a cave shmup. And the thing about cave shmups is that they really hold their value well. So uh, I would not be surprised if something like this skyrockets in price uh, not long after it comes out, believe me. Uh, I know uh, Mushihime-sama, like the 360 version, like an import 360 copy, uh, I mean, that thing's held its value pretty well. And I know that from personal experience because I lucked into one at a uh, at a used media store. It's like I saw that and I'm like, oh, you, 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 I gotta have it. Come on home. And as it turns out, the thing's actually uh, gone, gone up in value. <laughs> Well, I guess that will just about do it for this episode of FOMO's a Mofo. I'd like to thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. FOMO's a Mofo is now available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Spreaker, Deezer, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podchaser, and GeoSavan. And I think we're on some more. I just haven't made note of. And if you are so inclined, please be sure to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because stuff like that really helps with, like, the uh, algorithms and analytics and stuff like that uh, for the show, and it is greatly appreciated. And be sure to listen to the new releases show right here on this very same podcast feed, uh, usually every Friday or Saturday. And you can follow the show on Twitter at FOMOZAMOFO, and I will keep you up to date on all the latest happenings in the video game industry. Well, this has been Blue Swim. I hope you all have a great week, everybody. And happy collecting, everyone. Peace. Peace.